Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Join hosts and educator extraordinaires Michal Beton and Noam Weisman for the latest weekly podcast from Unpacked Wandering Jews as they tackle topics and uncomfortable questions about Israel, Judaism, and Zionism that surround them with the goal of working towards the answers together with their listeners. No matter where you're from, if you've ever wondered about anything, this is the podcast for you. Listen to Wandering Jews with Michal and Noam on your favorite podcast app today. Wandering Jews is brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Welcome to another edition of Sound of Spurs podcast. I'm the longtime radio voice of the Spurs, Bill Schoening. This is episode number 21, presented by SWBC. And our guest today might not be a household name, but he's got a great journey and a great story. And we're very pleased to be joined by former Spur, Tom Copa, the pride of Coon Rapids High School and a native of Robbinsdale, Minnesota, wherever that is. <laughs> Tom, welcome. And uh, we're so happy that you took the time to join us. Uh, and uh, th- th- this is fun. We've had a great time this year in the 50th anniversary of the Spurs, bringing back a lot of players, some of whom have had you know great accolades. You have not. But as I just alluded to, your basketball journey is so cool. So let's just start at the beginning. Uh, what was it like to grow up in Robbinsdale, Minnesota in the 60s? Well, I was born in Robbinsdale, but that's that's actually just where the hospital is. I, I, I grew up in, in a town called Coon Rapids. And uh, Coon Rapids is a northern suburb of, of Minneapolis-St. Paul. And back in the day, it was it was a, an idyllic life. Uh, we I lived in a neighborhood that was overrun with children and families, and we just we all we did was play sports. Um, we played hockey, we played street hockey, we played baseball, we played football, we played basketball, um, softball. Uh, that's all we did, and um, as children in the street, and so it was a great place to grow up. There was no NBA back then because the Lakers had left about five years before you were born to go to Los Angeles, and the Timberwolves right. hadn't come in yet. So was uh, as far as basketball, following basketball, was it more about the Minnesota Golden Gophers? Yeah, at the time, the Gophers were strong. Uh, Michael Thompson was there. Flip Saunders was there. And so uh, 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 we, we followed the Gophers and listened to them pretty religiously on the radio. Yep. Uh, you, you were Mr. Basketball in the state of Minnesota in 1983, I believe. Is that correct? That's right. And, right. You know, the Spurs' current point guard, Trey Jones, was Mr. Basketball in the state of Minnesota in 2018. So you, you have that in common <laughs> with one of the one of the current Spurs. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> yeah, and he's a great guy, of course. And I think his brother, Tyus, may have actually been uh, Mr. Basketball in Minnesota. Well, you had a good career, though, Coon Rapids High School. Uh, how heavily were you recruited after your senior year? 
I was pretty heavily recruited. I was an All-American in both football and basketball, and, and I was recruited by some of the biggest names in, in football, uh, University of Nebraska, University of Minnesota, UCLA. Back then, uh, BYU was big. I guess they're still pretty big. Um, and then uh, in, in basketball, I, I was fortunate enough to attend the five-star camp in Pittsburgh uh, between my junior and senior year and, and made the all-star team on the two weeks that I was there. And so recruiting really amped up nationally uh, after that. I was recruited by Syracuse and Virginia and Duke and University of Minnesota, of course, Marquette, Missouri, um, a lot of places, and um, and ended up, of course, choosing Marquette University out of Milwaukee. Yeah, Marquette, of course, uh, a, a very good academic school as well as being a good basketball school. Uh, what uh, attracted you to Marquette in Milwaukee? There are quite a few things. So I, uh, number one, I, I, I had a, a really good relationship with coach Rick Majerus and he had a track record of developing big guys. And so tall guys as well as big guys. Um, and, uh, so I, I, I thought that would be a good fit. I, on my trip, uh, I met all of the players and, and, uh, it felt like home, uh, when I walked into the locker room. And then, um, I also, I'm Catholic and, and Marquette's a Jesuit school, Catholic school. And so it felt Culturally, it felt very familiar to me, and so um, and I wanted to be in a smaller school. Wanted a, 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 an opportunity. I knew college was going to be a challenge academically, especially with the commitments of athletics, and so a small student teacher ratio where I could get individualized support was also important. And so, for those reasons, I I chose uh, Milwaukee and Marquette. I got to know Rick Majerus a lot better later when he was at Utah and I was at the University of Texas. And we'll probably yeah. talk a little bit about Austin and Texas here in a moment. But um, he had a very sarcastic sense of humor. And I don't think I ever did a pregame interview, Tom, with Rick Majerus when I didn't have to edit something out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what was your yeah. experience with, like, give me a good Rick Majerus story that you could tell uh, that maybe you could share, because I'm sure there are a few that you might not be able to, but, but he, was just, he was a funny, funny guy, wasn't he? Rick was great. Rick was great. So I got a couple. So that um, one is Rick used to be very active in, in practice and he was really into the, into the practice and he would, he would lean down and he would lean forward and he'd grab his head and and he had this habit of of sticking his hands in the back of his his coaching shorts and and sitting there like this with his with the, and and you know back then um yeah he wore a jock strap and so no underwear and his hands are all over his sweaty rear end and uh, and he you know he sweated profusely and so at the end of practice he'd say all right guys bring it in and then he'd stick his hand out and everybody's supposed to put their hands on his hand. And, you know, and all the guys are like, I'm not touching that hand. And so we'd all like put our hands in and, and play cat and mouse. And he'd be reaching up trying to grab a hand and he'd get one. And then everybody would shove their hands in because he would take his second hand and put it on top. And so you wanted to be somewhere in the middle between that bottom one and that top one and stick your hand in there. And then, and then he'd go, all right, on team together on three. And we'd go one, two, three, team together. And then the two guys that are on the bottom and the top would sprint to the locker room to go wash their hands. <laughs> and that happened every single day. And Rick never knew why two guys sprinted out of the gym because nobody ever had the audacity to tell them. Wow. So <laughs> that was one thing. Another really good one is, you know, you, you may remember the commercial. And I, I can't remember. I think it was uh, either insurance or a cell phone uh, company. 
but they would they would have this guy and and a, a series of unfortunate events would befall this person like he would ride his bike into the ditch and then some a back end loader would lo- load some dirt on him and then something else would happen and this guy just went through this series of horrible events and then the 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 person the company advertising would say you need to have good coverage because if you don't, you're going to ride your bike into a ditch, a back end loader is going to fall on you, all this stuff. And Rick used to say that same stuff in practice. Like if you, if you had the audacity to miss a layup in warmups, he'd, he'd, he'd blow the whistle. Hold on, hold on. You missed a layup. You missed a layup because you're not focused. If you don't focus in basketball, you're not going to focus in class. If you don't focus in class, you're not going to get good grades. If you don't get good grades, you're not going to get a degree. If you don't get a degree, you're not going to have a good job. If you don't have a good job, your wife's not going to be happy. If your wife's not going to be happy, she's going to leave you. If she leaves you and you have a bad job, you're going to be homeless. You're going to be slaying in a ditch. Make your goddamn layups. <laughs> like everybody's looking around like, whoa, coach, I missed a layup. Next thing you know, I'm divorced and homeless. I had no idea this was so important, but it, it was hilarious. And yeah. but he, that guy was serious, man. He he took yeah. everything serious. Well, you know, it's it's amazing the the programs that he built in different places. You know, of course, Marquette had that reputation, but he went out to Utah and you know, really built a national power and recruited guys from LA and all over the place to come to Salt Lake City. Yeah, you know, he 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 went he went from us to the Bucks for a year, and then he went to Ball State. And I don't know if you remember at Ball State, he, I think he took him to the tournament. And that's yeah. where he got his opportunity to go to Utah. And then he just settled in at Utah. And, you know, he, he had a great uh, career at Utah. Let's get back to you for a moment, Tom, because uh, we talked about your career at Marquette. Uh, you even said in a recent article that uh, you were a marginal player, a mediocre player, but you averaged eight points and five rebounds. But certainly that doesn't jump off the page to say, draft me in the first round. So you didn't get right. drafted, but you did get drafted by the CBA, the 44th right. pick. Uh, so did you have thoughts, at least at that time, of playing in the CBA? Not at all. Not at all. I was done with basketball when I left Marquette. Um, I, I was fed up with it. Um, I, I just, I was very disappointed in how my college career went and, um, and, and just did, didn't enjoy the game. Um, at the end, uh, you know, Rick left my, uh, my senior year before my senior year and we got a new coach. You know, I didn't really get along with that guy. And, um, I was done. I, matter of fact, they, I got invited to Portsmouth. They, there, there's a there used to be a senior term thing out in Portsmouth. I forget what they call there, it. There still is. There still is. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't even want to go. And and I got called it. And I was like, Nah, I'm not going to go. And my one of my teammates got invited, and he says, Tom, why aren't you going to go? And I said, I don't want to play. He's like, Man, you're stupid. You got to go. You should at least go. So I went. Of course, I didn't want to be there. It didn't go well. And uh, I was. I, I just didn't want to play anymore. And so, um, so I didn't, and, uh, that's when I moved out to Vail after I took one extra semester to graduate. And then I, then I moved to Vail with a buddy of mine and, and tried to figure things out when I was out in Vail. So about a year, uh, maybe not quite a year, but a hiatus, uh, uh, of trying to find yourself kind of thing when you were, uh, basically running shuttles from the Stapleton airport in Denver up to Vail. Is that what you were doing? Yeah. Yeah. I went out there and I needed to get a, a job. And so I looked in the, in the newspaper, like you used to back then. And I, this guy was hiring for shuttle drivers. So I'm like, I can drive. So I, uh, I did that. And and I, I got up every morning at four 30, left my apartment, had to go get my, my van, get it warmed up and then made the rounds to the hotels around Vail and pick people up. Uh, brought, brought them down to Stapleton 
uh, went and washed my van, uh, went back, picked up the folks that had landed at Stapleton, drove them up to Vail, uh, dropped them off at their hotels, uh, washed my van, picked up the new group of people at the hotels, drove them back down to Stapleton, dropped them off, and then washed my van, and then went back to Stapleton and picked up the next group and drove them back to Vail. And I'd usually get home around, I'd get back to Vail around 8 or 9.30 at night. I'd have to go wash my van, turn it back into the depot and get home sometime around 10.30 or 11. And I did that pretty much every day. That does not sound like a fun job. That sounds like a long day, especially if you have to drive in conditions up there at elevations. Yeah, there were some conditions. Um, but you know what? I was young. I was 23 years old. And and I I I guess I was angry. I, I was I was not a settled person at that time. You know, I, I was still processing everything. You know, I had a, gr- a degree from Marquette, um, you know, good school. Um, and here I was just out, I, I thought, trying to escape at the time. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go out there and become a ski bum and, and just get out of here. And um, I just end up skiing four or five days and, and <laughs> driving almost every single day. And I, I think I think the monotony of it was my own way. I, I didn't do it. Uh, consciously. I think it was a subconscious thing that my my brain told me to do just to process, you know, what I was going to do with my life and what 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 happened um, at Marquette, because it was not at all uh, what I wanted to happen. But Tom, there was part of you somewhere deep inside that said, I'm not through with basketball yet. I didn't uh, really fulfill my complete potential uh, with yeah. the game. Uh, and, and I was reading this article that Jeff McDonald wrote about you uh, in the San Antonio Express News, which, by the way, is a great a uh, little piece on you, I thought. Uh, and he said that you had kind of a um, a moment, a revelation moment, if you will, during the 1988 Final Four when Kansas played yeah. Oklahoma. You're listening to the game on the radio. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I was driving back one night from Stapleton and, and I didn't have any passengers. Um, and so I turned on the radio and as fate would have it, the the national championship game was on. And I started listening and, um, you know, I heard all the same old familiar names and uh, guys that I had played with, played against at camps and had been following for, you know, for my entire career. And um, and I started to get angry. And, and I was like, well, listen, to all these guys, you can hear the crowd going crazy names being announced all across the world via radio. And I thought that used to be me. I, I used to be on the floor. And and I could play. And here I am driving a shuttle bus. I've got a beard and jeans I haven't washed in three weeks. And and uh, and you're making, you, know, you became a ski bum. You were a successful yeah, ski bum. I became a bum. <laughs> and and I didn't like it. I didn't like what I saw in the mirror. And I didn't like where my 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 mind was going. And I said, you know what? I've got to I've got to I got to get back into the real world. And so I, I again I just through a series of very fortunate events, I. I turned in my notice, um, said goodbye to my 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 roommates, and drove back to Milwaukee. My arrival in Milwaukee coincided with the arrival of one of my former teammates at Marquette, who had played a year in Europe. And we went out for a beer, and, he, and I asked him how things were going. He's like, "Man, this is great. I'm over in Europe. I'm making a, a bunch of money, you know, paying for all my expenses, uh, and and I just love it. It's the best thing ever. You should do it." And I was like, "Huh, that's interesting." And, and I said, I don't, I don't I'm, I'm, but I'm done with basketball. He said, Tom, it's not the same. When you're a pro, there, there's nobody yelling at you. They just put the ball out and you practice and they work on your skills and, and, and you just go play. And, and it's, it's completely different environment. You would love it. And then he showed me the stack of money that he had, of course, which I had none. 
<laughs> and so I said, you know what? I'm going to try. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a go. So I dedicated myself that summer to getting in shape, worked out with the Marquette guys, uh, went to the weight room, did all the things you're supposed to do. And uh, there was a camp in Chicago at the end of the summer run by a guy named Scott Wolson, where he brought in 150 players, put them on teams, and then scouts from all over the world came and and watched the guys play. And, and again, as fate would have it, um, a coach from Belgium was there and he saw me play and he asked me if I'd join his team. And so I said, yes. And you ended up staying there three years. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I stayed wow. in Belgium in a, a town called Bruges. I was there. I played there for three years. Yeah. Here's another connection for you with the Spurs. Bruges is where Tony Parker was born. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I think I yeah. knew that. I think people told yeah. me that. I think yeah. Tony was born in, I know he was born in Belgium and raised in, in France, but I'm trying yeah. to get you the connection with the, uh, with the younger uh, generation there, but you averaged 21 points and 14 rebounds one year. So uh, were there some scouts from the NBA or from some other leagues uh, like the CBA looking at any of these games? No, I don't. Well, back then, I don't I don't believe so. There was other European coaches that would come in. Um, but I, I what the, re, the the way that the Spurs found me was um, my wife became pregnant with our oldest son, our my third season in Belgium. And so um, we had planned on spending the summer in Milwaukee, which is, of course, the off season. And um, and since she became pregnant, I asked her, do you still want to go back to Milwaukee? And she said, no, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of like to be near my mother when I have the baby. And I said, well, that makes sense to me. And her mom and dad had just relocated to Austin, Texas. And so we came down and spent the summer in Austin um, and ended up actually living with my in-laws for the summer. Um, and uh, my father-in-law, you know, he helped me find a gym. Uh, so I found a gym and I started working out with a, a personal trainer. And then um, my father-in-law actually asked me if, if he could write letters to the NBA teams in Texas and let them know I'm in town. And I said, well, you go ahead and write a letter, but that's not how it really works. Um, <laughs> and so he ended up writing a letter and and, um, and letting him know. He put together a little resume with my collegiate statistics, my my Belgian statistics, a picture, and uh, and sent it off to to the Spurs, the Rockets, and the Mavs. That's amazing. And through that, you end up in San Antonio, and it was like a, a brief tryout, or was it actually training camp, or how did that work? So they, they have a the NBA team. I think they still do these. They have a rookie free agent camp which starts before preseason, and so they bring in all the rookies they drafted and any free agents they want to look at, and that culminates in a, a black and silver game. Um, and after the black and silver game, uh, Mr. Bass, Bob Bass, came up and said, "Hey, we'd like you to come to to fall camp. Um, or would you are you open to that?" And I'm like, "You bet." And so. Um, they actually asked me to come to Milwaukee um, yeah, for the intervening six weeks and work out with the team so that I'd be ready. And so Molly and I and, and our newborn son moved to, down to San Antonio and Charlie actually slept in it. We rented a little one bedroom apartment and Charlie slept in the walk-in closet and uh, you know ended up making the team. San Antonio sports fans know great teams are powered by great talent. SWBC is looking for new talent to join our team in a workplace where game-changing ideas drive success. We employ top professionals in IT, accounting, human resources, insurance, and more. Great teams are powered by great talent, and great employees are empowered at SWBC. Apply today at swbc.com careers. That's swbc.com careers. 
Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying cows are busted. You can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my day. day. The quote from Greg Popovich uh, in this recently released story by Jeff McDonald. Uh, he was like a man from the moon. He came in <laughs> here and started knocking heads. <laughs> what do you remember about those early workouts and were you trying extra hard to try to impress the coaches? Well, for sure, I was trying extra hard. Um, and, you know, I, I was too naive to know that I shouldn't challenge people. So, you know, I, I remember getting the ball one time at the top of the key and I turn around and Terry Cummings is there. And so I, you know, I make a move. He goes left. I go right. You know, I go up for the, the, the dunk and Terry comes in and he tries to block it. And so I just held my arm up to shield him and I ended up cutting his forehead with my elbow. And, uh, and, you know, Terry got kind of mad and then pop was there and he says, Terry, the man's trying to earn a job. Like he's not here just screwing around. And I wasn't, you know, I, I don't know, Bill, if you have children, but, um, you know, when you have a child, the rules change, you know, you've got somebody, you got a mouth to, that depends on you. Right. And so I was unemployed. I had a new baby. I had a wife. I was essentially homeless and I needed a job. And so I was going to you know, 
ply my trade. And so I did. Tom, are you going to tell me you couldn't retire on the money you made in Brussels? (laughs) (laughs) Not at $2,000 a month. (laughs) (laughs) All expenses paid. Uh, If you ever get a chance, there's there's a guy that wrote a book. His name is Paul Shirley. He was a journeyman guy. And he played for six or seven teams overseas. Played at Iowa State in college or Iowa. Anyway, I think it was Iowa State. But his book is so funny. It's called "Can I Keep My Jersey," and it's about <laughs> every team, right because he gets cut from every team he's ever played for. And, right. But the the way he does it with a sense of humor, and I, I guess that's the way you have to approach these things. So so anyway, you, you get to play thirty three games for the Spurs, uh, yep. and then I, I guess you got a, a tryout with the Rockets the next year, and uh, you, you were waived first. How did that whole work out? Yeah. So um, it's it's kind of funny. I, I was um, in the summer. Uh, after my rookie year with the Spurs, uh, they exercised their option and um, I had a three-year contract, uh, but they exercised their option and cut me and invited me back to camp. And that's when um, Jerry Tarkanian was the head coach. Wow. And, you know, Tark ran a run and gun kind of offense and, you know, my, that's not my game. Um, and so I decided to to try something else. And as, uh, as it turns out, Pop joined Don Nelson at Gold State and so um, he called me up and said, hey, you want to come and uh, work out here this summer? And I said, sure. So I went out to Golden State for a little bit and uh, was playing with them. But, I, you know, I just didn't really care for it. Um, I'm really not an Oakland guy or California guy, and um, which is kind of a stupid reason not to like it. But I just didn't. And so I came back to, to Texas and um, my agent got me a tryout with the Rockets. And so I went to Houston as, and was working out with them. And they invited me to camp. And uh, ended up making the team uh, for the for the first couple of games, and we opened up against the Supersonics in um, in Tokyo, and so flew over to Tokyo uh, with the team and, and opened up. And then when we got back after the first couple of games, um, they cut me, and so then um, then I I joined um, I joined the lacrosse Catbirds in the CBA uh, for a couple of months, and then the um, yeah yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and Flip Saunders, as it turns out, was the head coach uh, the, of the Catbirds at the time. I, I've talked to Mario Elliott was one of the guests we've had. Of course, he played in the CBA. And I think yeah. he told me the per diem back then was 20 or $22 a day. <laughs> or something you couldn't really uh, get a lot of steak and uh, you know chicken on. You had to get a hamburger, I guess. Yeah, no, the CBA is a, is a, is a temporary spot for most guys um, because I think you make like 20 I mean, I remember when I filed my taxes, I made 10% in 1992 that I had made in 1991, 10%. And I didn't make that much in 91, by the way. Um, so the NBA and the CBA, right? So yeah. uh, let's fast forward. So, so the career's over and now uh, I'm looking at your bio and you're a biotechnology executive. Uh, you've had a great success in your career as a businessman. Um, just kind of bring us up to date, Tom, uh, maybe the Reader's Digest version of where yeah. your basketball career ended and where your business career began and where you are now. Yeah. So quickly, I, I, I quit playing a couple of years after uh, San Antonio. I was in Italy. And, um, and after, after I left Italy, I, I quit. I was just really beat up and uh, sore. And I, I just was, I was just tired of being sore all the time. So I was 29 years old. And, um, and uh, my first job out of basketball was selling surgical supplies for a company called Baxter uh, Healthcare. And I did that uh, for a while, became a regional sales manager with one of their other divisions, was recruited to join a, a startup company here in Austin called Luminex, 
uh, joined them as a business development director, was there for 17 or 18 years, uh, rose up through the ranks and eventually to the vice president of one of uh, one of their business units, and then um, and then uh, joined a company called uh, Assurigen here in Austin uh, five years ago in September and uh, led their sales marketing and support uh, organization called Commercial Operations. Uh, we were bought a couple of years ago by a company called Biotechni, and uh, where I'm now the vice president of, of commercial uh, for one of their business units or for the division. And you've settled there in Austin. You're pretty much going to be there for a while, I think. Yeah, I love Austin. <laughs> you know, we've got a ton of friends. Uh, we've got, we were active in our church. We were active in Boy Scouts and in the youth sports programs. All my kids went to school here. Uh, we've got some property in the hill country. Uh, you know, Central Texas is really a special place. It really is. And it was so cool to have you on today. And also the fact that they did that story on you to kind of bridge the Austin and San Antonio gap, which, as you know, is getting closer and closer, isn't it, Tom? Because uh, those two yeah. cities are almost growing together now. Well, you know, back when I first started at Baxter, I lived here, but my t territory was in San Antonio. And I used to drive to San Antonio three, four times a week. And there used to be open land between here and San Antonio. And now it's, you know, Kyle Butis and Marcus New Braunfels, you know, sh shirts, you know, San Antonio, and it all just kind of melds together. It sure does. Well, Tom, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you taking the time to join us uh, and be part of this the 50th celebration, uh, 50th anniversary celebration for the Spurs. Final question. I ask this to all the guests. Uh, you think about the Spurs 50 years. Of course, they came from the ABA, the Dallas Chaparrales 50 years ago. What right. are your thoughts on the Spurs legacy uh, in pro basketball and in the NBA? I think the Spurs legacy is is really something special. Um, they they deliver uh, a product that, um, built on character and teamwork and uh, and execution and um, and it's it's unlike any other team. And if you watch, not that the other teams don't work hard and not that the teams other teams don't have character, but the Spurs when watching the Spurs play basketball is is like watching a a European soccer team plays soccer. They drive, they dish, they drive, they penetrate, they pass around, they skip pass. And they're not always just looking for the immediate shot. They're looking to set somebody else up for an easier shot. And it's fantastic. And, and they make the game look so easy. Um, but it, of course it's not. Um, but they just wear you down. And, um, and they do it with, uh, with guys of, of high uh, moral character. And it's, it's awesome. And it's it's really really good to see people do things the right way and and also by the way win, um, this season notwithstanding. So um, it's uh, they, they to me are are uh, the the shine, bright shining star of how a professional uh, team should be run and um, all credit to them for that. Tom, once again, thanks for the kind words and also thanks for taking the time. Hope to meet you in person one day. Uh, you know, I'm running between Austin and San Antonio too, so I'm sure we'll cross paths one of these days. I look forward to that, Bill. Thank you. That is Tom Copa, former Spur, episode number 21 of the Sound of Spurs podcast brought to you by SWBC. I'm Bill Shoning. So long, everybody. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Are the old world picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience. Avalon Waterways offers smaller ships, bigger experiences with fewer people and more of, well, everything good about river cruising. Don't just dream about quaint towns and cobblestone villages. See them for yourself and make lasting memories. Discover limited time offers today at avalonwaterways.com.